This episode is brought to you by AWOM Lab. AWOM Lab is a creative space that offers membership for women entrepreneurs. The membership includes access to a cafe, high-speed Wi-Fi, a small retail store, and a full-service photography and podcast studio. The Lab fosters women's empowerment and is designed to inspire, motivate, and connect women in South Florida. AWOM Lab also has an in-house creative agency that develops content for female-owned brands. Most importantly, the vibe and energy is that of collaboration and hustle. So if you're an entrepreneur looking to kickstart your business, and need a place to work from or event space, make sure to follow AWOM Lab on Instagram. That's A-W-O-M-L-A-B. GGB is a proud member and we can't wait to see you at the lab. See you there. Girls Gone Boss is the driven women's guide to love, life, and business. Hosted by the boss ladies, Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Andrea Martini is the founder and the president of Andrea Martini PA in Coral Gables, Florida. Andrea exclusively focuses on immigration and nationality law and represents clients from all over the United States and abroad in various areas, including family-based immigration, removal defense, corporate business immigration, consular matters, and asylum cases. Prior to establishing her own practice, she worked as an associate attorney at Kurzban & Kurzban, where she handled a myriad of challenging cases. She was admitted to the Florida Bar in 2007 and served as president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association South Florida chapter in 2016. She frequently appears as a speaker on immigration panels and CLE courses and has been featured on various local and national media outlets on the topic of immigration reform and asylum law. She has also taught immigration law as an adjunct professor at Broward College, in 2016, Andrea joined an all-female attorney volunteer group and traveled to Dilly, Texas, where they provided pro bono representation to Central American refugee mothers and children held in detention. Welcome, Andrea. Thank Hi. you for having me, guys. Of course. I think, wow. I mean, the topic of immigration is already a little bit like sensitive, especially like in the day and age that we are in the U.S. And it's such a hot topic right now, but you actually live it and you have been doing it for quite some time. Um, probably have exposed yourself to a lot of cases that have been heartbreaking. Um, but initially, I just want to know, like, what led you to law? What led you to immigration law? I know that you and I met in college. You were doing journalism and That's then right. you shifted into law. Was that always something that you wanted to do? Yeah. So basically, I I come from a strong uh, line of female attorneys in the family. My mom's an attorney. She's a Venezuelan attorney. Um, her sister, my aunt, is also an attorney. So I think it just oh, you I know, didn't know that ran into the family. Yeah. Um, my uncle also on my father's side was a very prominent attorney in Venezuela and he actually, um, uh, was a member of, um, what's the equivalent of the Supreme Court. So I think it just kind of, um, ran in the family and it almost, so you always knew you were going to do naturally that. to me. Yeah. I mean, I remember my mom actually, you know, being the super strong superhero that she is she actually went back to college after having me and she wanted to finish her career very much so she was actually in law school while I was maybe like four or five years old so I remember her like studying with her law books and like sometimes I would just like crawl into bed with her and uh, you know so it was just very familiar to me growing up 
and, you know, your typical uh, sassy, challenging, <laughs> you know, seven-year-old girl. And so I would always get it from my dad and everybody around. Well, you know, it looks like this one surely is going to be an attorney. Um, so I think it was just it was a very natural choice. Um, then as we came back to the U.S., my mom actually fell into the field of immigration law. She used to work with an attorney. Um, so, again, I was just continuously exposed to it. Um, so when I actually went to college, I picked journalism because I think, um, you know, that's where my heart is. I, I love writing. I love words. I loved reading. Um, but um, the plan was always to go to law school. So I think I didn't let myself fall too much in love with <laughs> journalism, even though I absolutely loved it um, because I knew I was going to go to law school. And, um, the transition actually was, was pretty easy because, you know, once, you, once you're a writer and you love reading and you love writing, I think it just makes law, law school, um, an easier choice. But so, you know, yeah, it was, I, the seed was it, always there. Yeah. It, like when I first started, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can be an entertainment lawyer. And then I realized how much like contract law is involved and right. tort and all that crazy stuff. That and all the even... glamour is like. And then I was like, you know <laughs> what? So Forget glamour. it. I'm going to go to TV production. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because I remember being in in um, college. And I don't know if you remember Professor Richards. He was kind of like a, a little bit of a former sort of rock star or whatever. He would tell us all these fabulous stories. And he actually, like, told me not to go to law school. He's like, don't go to law school. Like, you'll never write the same. Like, you're a great writer. But my heart, like, I just, I, I very, very much had a plan. And um, I consider myself lucky in the sense that um, I never really went through this period of hesitation. You know, like some people go through that soul-searching period of, what do I really want to do with life? What do I really like? So I think for me, it all, it was all very like back to back. And by the time I was done with law school, I was 24 years old. And wow, like, I didn't know you were already young, had Andrea. a job lined up and, you know, um, started, which in hindsight, I don't know that it was, if it was a good thing, because I think, you know, maybe I should have taken like a gap year and, but, you know, I feel like I, I, I never went through that um, soul searching period. Not sure if it was a good thing or bad thing, but it did save me time and it did allow me to enter the profession very young, which had its pros and cons. But, you know, at the same time, it also allowed me to, you know, gain my independence a lot sooner, um, you know, than, than rather than later. So I think that was... And what were some of those challenges being young, a young, thriving, you know, student out of college? Yeah, I mean, I think at first is that obviously you're 24 years old. A lot of your clients sometimes are going to be a lot older than you are. And, you know, it's like your typical scenario that not just uh, a young person faces, but a young female faces in the workplace. So sometimes I'd walk into meetings and I could just see, um, you know, the client's hesitation. I, I, I work with, it was all older males basically. So immediately, you know, you could see that look on their faces of, um, why do I really, do I really want her to be my attorney? Is there like an older, you know, associate that I can, um, probably, good um but what i learned is to be super prepared so that was my that was my fallback plan and i learned that once i knew what i was talking about and i was really well prepared it 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 came right through 
clients could see it. And, you know, after like five minutes of talking to me, I could just kind of like just see them ease and and sort of relax a little and kind of feel like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And it gave you confidence, I'm sure, as like a young, you know, like uh, lawyer to come in there and be like, okay, I know my stuff. Don't worry. Well, I didn't have it at first, to be to be honest with you. I mean, you always and I think at probably happens to you ladies but i learned about imposter syndrome like much later in life we have talked about it in like a million episodes it used to just <laughs> it used to just happen to me and i thought it was just me lacking self-confidence and then i realized that apparently we all suffer from all of us it. it's the way we've been conditioned but um because i learned to over prepare like that's what would give me security so i i i remember like i would just always read and read and read and before i ever went to one of my supervisors with anything with any type of questions or anything i would have always like researched like half of the stuff so when they talked to me they were actually like oh wow like i didn't even know that existed or i didn't even know that was the case so um, that meant I had to put in a lot of extra hours and extra work, but it paid off later on because I I ended up, you know, first of all, showing my true colors to to the people at my workplace, my coworkers and my supervisors. And then with the clients, like I could I could sense just the tension melting away. Like once they 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 were able to ask questions and and um, that was the one thing that gave me security, like just knowing my stuff and preparing, I think. um Otherwise, if I had just walked in there without having that backup, I certainly would have been uh, not confident at all. But, you know, it, it happens a lot. And, and even I remember the first time, well, not the first time, but probably one of my first interviews that I ever went with a client to immigration. It was actually a very, very young couple. You know, the guy was probably just barely like over 18. The girl was 17. Um, I was representing them. So we we actually show up at immigration. The for officer, a marriage. For a marriage okay. interview. So the officer steps out and calls us in and then looks at the three of us and says, where's the parents? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, I'm the attorney. <laughs> they're, you know, but what they're a blessing. 18. We yeah. do not look our age. No, we don't. Yeah, I mean. Fine like wine, girl. I don't, I don't think I, I benefit as much as I used to in the early days. I think by now they can clearly see I'm a little more seasoned. But yeah, I mean, in the, and, then, and then I kind of fell in love with that. I kind of liked the idea of having that little wow factor of walking into a room and everybody's kind of like, like, oh, like maybe this person doesn't belong here or like, you know, like, is she even old enough or knowledgeable enough to be here? And then being able to just prove um, them wrong, like prove them wrong. I mean, in a way it was, you know, it was kind of like a nice little feeling um, at the end. But it took me a while to to get there. And immigration law, was that always like the type of law you wanted to go into? Yeah. So I really struggle because just like how we're talking about, you know, you go through that phase that that was kind of like my soul searching was what type of law do I want to practice? So um, I always knew I didn't want to be like in some room, like typing briefs away the whole day, reading law all day. It definitely wasn't me. I'm very much a hands-on person. I love the interaction. Um, I also knew very early I didn't want the big firm life as much as that comes with, um, you know, like 
awesome paychecks from the very beginning. It's a very it's a very difficult world. You know, it's extremely competitive. It's um, there's a lot of like billable hour requirements. It's just a lot of things that prevents you from actually being one on one with clients. So I knew that really wasn't my niche. Um, so then I was like, okay, well, you know, I love you know, anything that's like international and I want to do like, I want to work for the UN and practice international law. And then you realize that it's like international law. It's just, it's a very limited field. And, you know, most of those jobs are not really like, um, jobs that require a law degree. Um, so I said, you know, what's, what's the next best, best thing I could find, you know, what's something that would allow me to meet, people from different places to be hands-on and still feel like I'm making a difference. Um, like I'm improving somebody's life, like I'm, you know, um, helping uh, someone. And, you know, immigration was was the closest thing I could find. And, you know, I think it's, it's what keeps me, like after all these years, um, you know, I've never hated my job. So I consider myself to be extremely blessed and lucky because... Even though when you have tough days, there's just never been a day where I'm like, I dread this. I really don't like it. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so I found that in immigration law, I, I you know, I've been, um, it, it's very dynamic. You know, there's, you know, you have your uh, business employment based visas. You know, sometimes you help people who want to just open businesses here in the United States. Um, then you have your regular, you know, marriage-based case or the couples who fall in love or the famous fiancé visa. You know, I've done a ton of those. Um, you know, there's refugee asylum law. I've worked with a lot of um, those cases. And then, you know, you have your, the, the more difficult cases are the ones that when you deal with people who are being deported or are being held in detention. So um, it always feels like you are making a difference. It always feels like um, it's interesting um, you meet all kinds of people, you hear all kinds of stories, and sometimes, you know, they're like really wacky and crazy, and sometimes they're really uplifting and powerful, and um, it's just, you know, it's it's a blessing really for me to be able to have something that I really love and that I believe in. When was it that you decided, coming from being at a law firm, having your nine to five, right, and having your your salary, your safety. And you were like, I'm going to go ahead and start my own practice and my, you know, have my own firm. Yeah. So because I started so young, I actually, I was with the firm, like even prior to graduation. So I, it was nice in the sense that when I finished school, I actually had a job lined up. So that was great. You know, it was job security. Um, and you know, I was able to like dive right in and, and because I had already worked in that firm setting even before the transition from student to a practicing attorney was, was very, very smooth. But, um, I think also starting so young, I was only 24 years old. I think I probably lingered a bit too much before I decided that I could really spread my wings and, and, and go out and do my own thing. Um, so I think it, it took me about, um, six years and I think it may have actually coincided with my 30th birthday with, with me actually branching out and stepping out. Um, wait, how old are you now? 35, right? I'm 36. 36. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I actually, um, you know, that, that was kind of like when I did it and I said to myself, 
I said, wow, like I'm 30 years old and I'm already going to be on my own. Like, this is it. Like, you have to, you know, just um, like boss jump up. off and, and boss <laughs> <Go>. up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think at the time, you know, also the advantage that I saw was that I was married, but we didn't have children. And I felt like if I'm going to do it, you know, I have to do it before. Like, I have to do it on my own and before I have the responsibility of, you know, other people who truly depend on me. And it was also with the idea of a family that I felt like I needed to make that transition because, you know, working for somebody else, unfortunately, you're just not in control of your life. It's not just your schedule, but your life. So at times I felt like, you know, there was there was choices that I wanted to make and I just couldn't make it. So I think uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, well, you get to be your own boss and you control your schedule. Yeah, that's a plus, but it's really about being in control of your life and your fate and your destiny. And um, at one point, it's just, you know, as much as I was doing great work at the firm, it just didn't feel like I was in control of my life and my destiny and, and you know, my fate. So uh, that was the plan. You know, the plan was like, let me try it out. You know, where I, I don't have kids yet. This is the time to do it. This is the time to take risks, and you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I but that had to have been like a little scary because we're like, did you bring along some of the clients from the other place, or how did it work? Like, how did you get your new clients? Yeah, how so, did you market yourself as like an independent? So home? it was yes, it was totally scary, and I will say I had. A period of lingering that was probably way longer than it needed to be. And I think at some point in our lives, it becomes very easy to sit back and just fantasize. And I think I had a period of just fantasizing about... But what do you mean fantasize? Who I wanted to be. <laughs> oh, like, like okay. seeing myself. How like, long vision was that period, myself. though? Vision board life. I, I think my vision board probably lasted about a year, which is why I feel like it was... I probably could have done it sooner. But I had a really good talk with another female attorney who had um, gone independent as well. And, uh, you know, it, you know, talking to you guys, I know we, we talked about the, the idea of like, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And I think, honestly, it sounds so simple, but this was the best advice that I've ever been given in my life. She said put a date on it oh. <laughs> so oh because yes. i think she realized you that, that like, in any you know aspect of yeah life. yeah i mean it, you know we'd go out for drinks and we'd talk about it and i'd be like and i'd think about like yeah the lease agreement and i can look at this place and and it was like i had all this stuff in my mind but i was just not executing it and at one point it was just like yeah like it's just it's unnecessarily long like but you really right. just need it's to go so into action simple. it's so simple those words like put a date on it yeah. And she did. And I did. So she told me that and it just kind of made me wake up and snap out of it because I think I kind of kept thinking that some special magical moment was going to prompt me into action. And, and it's like I had the idea and everything in my head, but it's just like I wasn't really doing anything about it. So um, I sat down and I think it, it must have been around December or so. And I gave myself like um, probably three months. Three months to come up with the money and the savings that as best as I could because I needed to have a plan in case things didn't go well. After all, you don't know if you're going to succeed or fail. And it's, it's you know, 
it's a matter of also survival, but you have to be smart about it. So, um, you know, give me time to put some money away, talk to my husband and say, this is the date. This is it. This is when we're going to do it. But um, how amazing that you have that support system, because I know um, that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, I mean, wing, it sure. was, it, yeah, and, and we're very much each other's support system in that respect. Like, my husband's always been Oh like, my God, we have to talk about how you met your husband because <laughs> yes, she met him to- with me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we can get into that later. I think we're like each other's like biggest cheerleaders. Like, as Aww. we speak, I'm sitting right here and he's like home with our two kids. Like, he's like, go for it. Like, whatever you need to do. And you know, I have a four month old and sometimes like I have speaking conferences and he'll just like, he'll take the time off for work and he just shows up and he's like, go do whatever you got to do. I'll be here. Like, you know, with the kids or like if he needs to travel with me. And so, so we're, we're good in that sense. So yeah, we, we both came up with a plan for, okay, this is how we're going to deal with it. And, you know, I came up with my savings and, um, I basically, I think I had like three months worth of living expenses so it was kind of like sink or swim like either I had to make it work and come up with clients and cases and whatever during that time or you know then I was gonna have to 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 find some other alternatives but you know it paid off it worked out um so I gave myself the three months and then I put in my notice and I never looked back and to this day I think it was um the best decision I've ever made but sometimes, you know, we're a little too hard on ourselves. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, I should have done it sooner. But, you know, sometimes it's just the way things work out is timing. It's, it's, it's perfect. perfect. It's perfect. And, you know, it, it maybe if I had a, if I had done it sooner, something else um, would have happened. Right, so, like all the cards aligned at the right time for you. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So basically I was I was on my own by the age of 30. And I, I, I kind of like that. I, I really, once I put it into the big picture I said I you know it's hard to to give yourself props and recognize your your accomplishments but that was one of the things that I said you know like not too bad I'm I'm basically on my own by age 30 so that's amazing and what kind of services does like an immigration lawyer like provide so you know there's all kinds you know and that's why I said the beauty of immigration is that you know I've met colleagues who only do like business employment visas and there's people who who work in court. There's people who do asylum cases. There's people who um, only do like the family, you know, marriage cases. One of the great things about working at the firm I worked is that I was um, like I, I had to learn everything because we we represented all types of cases. So actually, that helped me in the sense that when I opened shop, when I started my own practice, I was uh, I had a very strong background, so I was able to take different kinds of cases that came my way um so you know i've worked you know with uh like i said you know people with um multinational companies who want to bring employees who are basically want to have their executives here um investors yeah working visas i've done um removal cases asylum cases um, but marriage do you, based but do you recommend if somebody's seeking a, like an attorney for representation on immigration law, do you recommend that person specifically look for someone that only specializes in that one area or any immigration attorney can take your case? How does that work? Immigration yeah. is actually, um, I think it's like the second or third most complex field of law. Um, and that's because I think, you know, similar to like 
tax law. It's it's basically it's not something that's taught in law school. So people generally would not um, know immigration law just from having attended law school. Got and it. number two, because it's so it has so many different areas that it branches into, you know, like there's areas, for example, that it goes into tax issues. It goes into um, like family law issues with like divorces and custody and things like that. There's the criminal aspect of it because people do get detained and get deprived from their liberty um, for immigration violations. So it it's really just very, very dynamic. And for that reason, um, it, it's not something that a general uh, practitioner, you know, would necessarily know or know it well. So in my experience, you know, most of us who've been doing immigration and have been doing it for a while, it just it's the type of thing that you really kind of master it with experience, like after just having done it for a long time. The other thing that's really crazy about immigration, and of course, you've probably heard about it now, is that it's ever changing. I mean, it's I can tell you that things are radically different from when I started to practice, you know, just slightly over 10 years ago. Um, so it's constantly changing. There's always new decisions. It, ch- it can change a lot with, you know, with congressional action or, or things like that. And, you know, under the current administration, we have experienced um, very intense and frequent changes. And that actually sets you guys back correct in cases because if you're submitting a form that a month ago was one way and then they change the laws wouldn't you have to like resubmit everything else again well well, not necessarily i mean sometimes you do have those glitches where like oh they came up with a new form and then they put out an announcement and then you know you send in the new form they send it back to you and sometimes it could create what it does is that it can create a lot of confusion and it can be at times it feels very inefficient and kind of like a waste of time. But I think what's what's been extremely difficult is that um, we used to be able to um, get a lot of cases sometimes where you felt like there was there there was what we call positive factors and that we felt like you could go to ICE or you could go to CBP or any government agency. And if there was room for what we call discretion, they would exercise it favorably. If you could show like, hey, this person has no crimes, like this person, um, you know, has a couple of children, they've paid their taxes. What we've seen is a lot of that discretion has just basically been slipping and slipping and slipping away. Um, Where it's just like to the point where like everyone now is just like a priority almost for uh, being deported from this country. Um, We've also had like we've seen really um, kind of crazy changes with um, particularly with investors and business cases and business visas where it it used to be that I could counsel my clients and say, hey, if, uh, you know, if you're trying to get this particular visa, you can set up the business. This is what you'll need to invest. This is how many people you'll need to hire. And um, they would do all those things and you would have an idea for what's considered a strong case to what's a not so strong case. Um, and, and you know, you'd be right on target. And now what we're seeing is just a lot of crazy denials, even when you have cases that you believe are are strong and used to get approved in the past. So we're, we're looking at people who, even after investing like $250,000, you know, setting up the companies here, bringing the business here, um, you know, that they're not getting the visas approved. 
And, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as a denial and like there's not much of an explanation or the explanations are really not, you know, accurate. Um, so w we're seeing a lot of that. So it, it, do you think that that immigration law here in the U.S. is broken? The, the system is definitely broken in the sense that it's antiquated. Like the system, for example, for bringing family members, you know, we are limited to like about, um, I believe it's like somewhere um, like 500,000 per year. Um, so what what what's happened is that that's created a crazy backlog. Like when they talk about the line, like, hey, like, you know, they, like a lot of people love to say that, like, oh, if you want to come here, you have to get in line. Um, and it, so what happens is, like, for example, if you have a brother or sister, which under immigration law, you can petition for your brothers and sisters if you're a U.S. citizen. The wait for that process, it's about 14 years. What? Oh, my God. Okay. Now, if you're from China, the Philippines, or Mexico, the wait can actually go into, like, 20 years or so. So, it, it, it's just, it's not practical. It's not feasible. You know, and you have What your, about if you're European? Do you know? Um, well, th those are the only three countries because they have, like, you oh. know, just, you know, bigger ones. But normally, there's really no... Um, other wait i mean they, they just wait as long as everybody else has to wait which is also incredibly long you know if you're a, a u.s citizen parent and you want to petition for um you know uh, an adult uh, son or daughter for example well, you could be looking at like seven or eight years wow well that's so, how we got in here because my grandfather mm -hmm. who was a citizen pe petitioned for my mother and right. that's why we're here oh you know? right Right. So, you know, I think that the the number of, uh, you know, our, our immigration quotas and caps that we have in place um, are just not very realistic with globalization and, and, you know, the way that modern countries in, you know, modern developing countries are are doing business and are living and, and you know, things like that. Um, I think, you know, there was, um, there was a report about, um, you know, President Obama asking at some point, you know, meeting Steve Jobs and asking him like why they wouldn't bring like production and like the manufacturing of the Apple phone, uh, of the iPhones to the U.S. And they said, and he said, because it would take us incredibly long to secure the visas for engineers and get the people that we need to get over here. And I think we've seen that a little bit in 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 the last few years where I've seen more of the business um, and employment-based clients. A lot of people are just saying, hey, you know, I think I'm going to go to Indonesia. I think I'm going to go, you know, they're looking at other countries um, b because of the, the immigration, going through the immigration system um, can be so exhausting and it can take so long. And at the end, they just don't want to feel like um, like they're being targeted, you know? So, um, a lot of people have actually studied here and have earned degrees here in the U S and have good prospective employers who want to hire them. You know, some of those people sometimes are choosing not to stay here in the U S. Um, just like sometimes, you know, we have like for professional visas, for example, we have at most, we have 85,000, um, H1B professional visas. I mean, for a population of, you know, 350 something million, that's like nothing. nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. 
And, you know, then you have places like Silicon Valley and all these big companies that, you know, need the engineers, need the workers. Yeah, I mean, the argument you hear on the other side is that all these people are coming to take our jobs. Truth is, the U.S., you know, we're just not educating um our children are our to become engineers enough so mm-hmm. you know sometimes they have to get these people from abroad you know we're not meeting that need so the solution is not oh you know don't give them any more visas maybe the like solution is of, train yeah like, right. and that was one of the things that you know um like i know president obama had to um like wanted to uh support like stem education and sort of bring that back and, and kind of bring it across the board. I think in the U.S. we need to do a better job at, at um, making sure our children are getting that education so that we can meet this, these needs. But then, you know, oftentimes you just, you know, people want to say, well, they're just taking our jobs, you know, and, and they don't really want to look at the other side of the coin, which is, I mean, even if we were to stop giving people visas to come and fill these jobs, then we still have to look at ourselves and see what are we doing at home to train um you know american workers to to meet our needs so you know we've seen a lot of that just basically it's it's changing and then on the side of um deportation and enforcement we're just it's basically it's pretty chaotic you know the attorney general was like right now we actually don't have an attorney general as we speak Uh, we also have a lot of other vacant positions you know within the government cabinets, but um, the attorney general is like every day as immigration practitioners, we'd wake up and there'd be like another new decision that basically like attorney general would refer to himself and basically come out with a new decision. And it would be, it's, it's been like blow after blow. Um, luckily, some of those have already made their way to court of appeals and some of the federal judges are, um, ordering to to you know go back on some of those actions that have been taken but um it's been really really crazy and um actually stressful for a lot of us immigration practitioners because you know we used to be able to help so many people and and now it's like what we're able to do for them it feels like we're able to do less and less every day and it just feels like you know we're constantly under attack so the the system has turned very very adversarial i think and um granted it's just hard. you have to see the flip side right i mean i think there is the 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 problem of deportation and all that and and it's heartbreaking because i'm sure you've seen a lot of crazy cases but then the other side is that why are they doing like why is the government thinking it's a problem like they think because there's going to be like delinquents coming from out of this country or what is what is like well, the flip side that they're trying to like convince us that that's the reason why they're doing yeah this? i mean truth is is we've always had enforcement mm-hmm. i mean enforcement is not new and it's it's not like this administration came up with enforcement we've always had um you know ice as an agency and there's always people who've been detained um, I mean, personally, yes, obviously we have laws and I believe that, you know, we have to try to secure our borders and protect our borders and CBP officers have to do their job. But we also have to respect the immigration laws that are already in place. So what's been happening is there's just been a lot of changes to the underlying system 
that are not really necessary. Like all we need to do is just enforce what we already have. Um, which is what? Which is, you know, we had we had systems and, and clearings, procedure, you know, clearing procedures for like people who obtain visas, you know, they have to go certain background checks and um, like everybody who applies for things, you know, has to go on their background checks. Um, you know, if you have certain convictions, obviously, if you've submit, you've committed certain crimes, you are subject to deportation. And we had, you know, we have immigration judges and we have, um, you know, people would go through a deportation process. Now, what's been happening, though, it's there's been a a very, very calculated and orchestrated um, plan by the current administration to basically take away as many rights as possible without going through Congress. Because just like, you know, everything that is that goes through Congress is way more complicated and it's almost impossible to get anything usually passed or, you know, get them to agree on anything. So what they've been doing is that a lot of these positions where like the attorney general has a lot of discretion, um, they'll go ahead and just simply come up with the decision and it completely changes the law. Um, some of these decisions even go as far as they've taken away discretion from even judges. So like judges now, like um, their hands are tied with a lot of these cases, cases that they felt like maybe they could approve. Um, now, because of these decisions coming down, it's basically like they have no discretion. Um also, for example, they've been imposed like certain quotas, like they have to do X amount of cases within a year. Otherwise, they could get in trouble. They could get disciplinary action. And what happens is when you're trying to rush all these cases and get them out, you know, inevitably what's going to happen is that a lot of people are not going to have, you know, due process. They're not going to be able to have their cases heard properly and their cases are just going to get rushed off and they're going to get denied. So, um, you know, there, there's just been an effort to to reduce the amount of people who are able to just basically stay in this country. And I think it started out during the campaign as, oh, we're going after criminals and rapists right. and all these people, you know, that are bad for our country. But what we've seen in reality is that that is just far from the truth. I mean, we're seeing them go after people with no criminal records, you know, like— uh, people who have been like hardworking. Yeah, I uh, mean, citizens. from what I've seen on TV, it's been heartbreaking to see like the mothers being separated from their children and the children being in like the. It, was that all like hype for media? I mean, or is that like something real that's happening? Yeah. And so, so what's happening is that a lot of people are missing is that um, when these actions are taken, there's like a sort of shocking component to it right. like they're acting and going like to a very extreme place and taking very extreme actions because they know it's going to get a lot of hype um and 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 usually there's also with the with the understanding that what they're doing it's just it's shocking or illegal or anti you know unconstitutional so that is illegal um, well, not technically, right? Because they're but, not citizens. But but they felt. But but know. most judges, you know, and a lot of the judges who heard, you know, the judge, one of the judges who heard the case, were basically just shocked, and, and found it unconscionable that that the administration would act this way on purpose to just basically separate, you know, uh, parents from their children, and 
intentionally just fail to take account or action as to where the children would even go or how to, you know, how to... What would the uh, process be like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and usually, so then what happens is they go very extreme knowing that they're going to end up somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like bargaining. Like they know that they're not going to end up with that action that they wanted, but they're going to end up somewhere in the middle, um, which is more restrictive than than before. So it's going to be, it's more like fear-based. It, oh, totally. Yeah. I so mean, totally, basically yeah. like, it's like a sign, like just letting people know, like yeah. don't even try to come in here. Yeah. And it was, just, you know, the, the separation of families is just, Heartbreaking. it was completely unnecessary. Deal. Like when I, when I volunteered at the detention center in Dili, you know, it was, it was basically the policy under President Obama was family detention. I mean, it's not like these people were getting a free pass. I mean, far from it like so i had to you're, go you're saying that they could have stayed together but the government yeah that separated. was the policy the, the policy was to you know if you were coming with a parent then you know and and i went to a detention center where all they housed was women with their children and they would sit in detention and they would get a hearing if they could pass what we call a credible fear interview meaning that they could show that they their asylum claim had some credibility to it. Then after a while, they would be released under certain conditions, either by posting a bond or having an ankle bracelet. And then they would, it's not like they got a free hall pass and like got to stay in the United States forever and ever. They still had to face an immigration judge and present their asylum claim in court. Um, That was the policy for a while. So suddenly from one day to the next, they just decided, you know, we're going to separate um, the children from their mothers, which obviously that had like horrible consequences. But but this is all. Are very, they still doing that, or are they they um, control so they, that? They, they they stopped. So basically, like it, it went on for about a month. It got really, you know, crazy. It was like everybody was, and and that was the reaction they wanted to. And and you know, it's it's crazy. Like they they do it, and then they say they didn't do it, and then they backtrack, and then it's just like. Um, so I think a lot of it, you know, the same thing happened with the, with the Muslim travel ban, like the way it was enacted in the very beginning, it was very, very extreme. And we all looked at each other and we're like, well, obviously this is not gonna, this is not gonna be constitutional. Like this, this, you, you can't do this. Um, so what ended up is that they ended up with, you know, fighting it and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and it ended up with like three versions later they got their watered-down version of what would actually pass, which was nowhere near what came out in the beginning. But I think, in you know, the way I see it is that these extreme measures, it's kind of like playing music to a certain audience. They're just playing. They're, they're, they're giving this big display of very tough, extreme, outrageous action on immigration and giving that to a certain audience you know meaning voters um so on the outset you know it looks like you know because people don't really follow up and see like you know well what what eventually happened with the muslim ban did it ended up being (laughs) yeah that's why i'm asking you because i'm like what i see on tv because i know that's really what they want to feed us right so um i think it just it looks very very tough and extreme on the outset some of these cases have been fought in court and then in court um, they've ended up somewhere in the middle or some of them even sent back and, and, and judges in court saying, no, this is, you know, th- you can't do this. 
Um, but I think, you know, in, in terms of the audience, like people just remember that one initial shocking action. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's definitely a plan in place to, to restrict the amount of people who come into this country. And um, it used to be that, you know, I was like, oh, well, it's just people who are undocumented. It's just people who've committed crimes. But in reality, what we're seeing in practice is that there's, it's really just a, a way to restrict um, just immigration in general, whether it's investors, um, you know, employers, workers, um, Which is totally opposing to what, like, America is supposed to be all about, right? Because we are, like, the country that has built itself off of, like, so many immigrants. And right. so it's, like, really, like, kind of backtracking of, like, our essence. Um, and I agree, yeah. fine, we don't, obviously, there's going to be bad seeds and everything. But if there is a due process or, like, a system or a process, you will be able to, like, flag those and you know right and it's just you know it's do i necessarily agree that i mean i mean do i think everyone should be able to come here and exactly jump over a border and no i mean obviously we have laws and if if somebody gets apprehended and gets caught and they're not here lawfully obviously you have to be you have to go through the system and you know you have to be able to show whether you qualify for some type of way to stay here but um, you know, there's just, it, it's just crazy times right now. There's just a lot of, it I is think, a I, lot I mean, of controversy. Honestly, I'm not a po- political person, mm-hmm. but I do know that immigration is such a important thing for us Latinos because that's like how we all came here. I mean, your parents, Alex, are immigrants. Yes. You were born here? I no. was not born here. My brother was, but I, I, I came here exactly. when I was seven or eight. So, and you come from also parents who come from yeah. Elsewhere. I mean, my parents, you were my parents were immigrant. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they're naturalized citizens now. Yeah, but we all are. But it took them a while, you know. And and yeah, I mean, for example, like my parents came here legally, and they went through the system, and it took years, and it was you know money and 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 you know heartache and everything. Um, I think, unfortunately, sometimes you see um, some Latinos or people who are already like second generation and they're like, well, you know, like they should just come here legally. And I think, you know, we have to be grateful for um, the opportunities and benefits that we've had while also realizing that not everybody has that. So, you know, some of the women that I met in detention, for example, are just women who have been subjected to violence and so they're fleeing to free yeah, themselves from it, something it, horrible. I mean, and what you see in the news sometimes is like they think everybody's just coming here to make a buck and and make a better life. I mean, yeah, they're coming here f- for a better life, but you know, it's also that they're they're fleeing, you know, um, like horrible, horrible living conditions. I mean, if if you if you know anything about these Central American countries, I mean, oh, these I'm are women. Nicaragua. Right. So there's, you know, it's to be a woman in these countries, it's it's just dangerous. Just the, the, the fact alone that you're a woman, you could be walking down the street and any of these gang members can set their eyes on you and just grab you off the street and do whatever they want with you. And there's no system. There's no protection. There's nothing like that. Um, there's also same a lot thing of with the children there. Um, so, you know it's it's just um i think like you know what you're saying about latinos and as immigrants i think it's so important that now there's you know such a um kind of i don't want to say attack but there's there's such a uh 
different way of looking at immigrants. You know, it, it used to be that immigrants were looked at as people who worked hard, who contributed to this country. Um, I think, you know, obviously it, it, that's changed in the last couple of years where there's the, the, the image being painted of immigrants is that they come here, they're rapists, and which is really far from the truth. I mean, obviously you're going to have bad people everywhere you go, but, you know, the majority right. of people who come to this country actually um, do make really good contributions. But speaking of, I want to I want to kind of like get tap into the time you were at the detention center mm -hmm. since you mentioned it. Um was there any case in particular that kind of like just really touched your heart or like oh my God. just all day long or like changed your perspective and was like, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it it was you know, we're we're in these we're in this detention center and you worked out of this little trailer and it was like all day you're just like meeting some of the detained women and they're there with their children. And by the time I was there, I was actually a mom. I had left my 15 month old behind um, to, you know, for a week. It's the first time I was ever really away from her for that long to go work at this detention center. And um, it just hearing their stories. I mean, I cannot tell you that it was one case because it was just so many. And sometimes one was more brutal than the other. And, you know, at some point you're sitting there and you're hearing this for 12 hours. And at, at the end of the day, it's like sometimes we just, we'd go home crying. Like, you know, the team of us that was working there. Um, but what I learned is that at the same time, they were the women were so resilient. And to think that they had gone through everything they had gone through, survived it and made it here. Um, it was just amazing. It really just um, kind of gave me a sense of, you know, sometimes we complain about our lives and sometimes I, I'm like, oh my God, my kids are driving me crazy. <laughs> and then you, you hear about this and you're like, okay, I need to be uh, grateful. I'm going to make it. Yeah. Like, you know, I need <laughs> to be she grateful. Can make like it. Um, so yeah, I mean, just like learning from their resilience and, and, and I think I think now it's a, it's a very important time for like what I was saying, Latinos and immigrants in general to just come together. Um, we saw it a little bit during the the Muslim ban. I love the fact there was this group of people. I think it was out in California. I'm not sure. But they were basically uh, bringing when they made the comments about the taco trucks. And they 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 brought out taco trucks to um like what was the comment mosques? They were like, oh, you know, something to the effect of like, you know, do we want to have a taco truck on like on every corner? And people are like, yeah, we want a taco truck in every corner. <laughs> That's yeah. a good thing. Um, so then the you know the the taco <laughs> like, trucks were actually taco truck right now. <laughs> the taco trucks were actually showing up at the mosques, you know, in support oh, of God. like. You know, so and I think that's that's really so important. You know, sometimes here in Miami, you see it like the Cubans like versus the Haitians and the Nicaraguans. And I think it's just if I love everybody. I don't know. If you're no, no, too, right? an immigrant yeah. at this time, it's so important to come together and just like support one another. And, you know, whatever is being done against one particular community, it's really being done against like all immigrants in it's general. So, true. No. so it, it's a it's a it's an interesting time. Like we've seen a lot of good, um, you know, unions and and people kind of coming together. And so I guess you know some some good things come out of the. So <laughs> the, not the everybody can afford legal representation. So are there any um, organizations that offer any like free? Yes. Service? So there's 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 always you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, there's like legal aid and, you know, American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. Um, but a legal aid is not the same thing as pro bono work, right? 
So uh, basically pro bono just means that you're going to get representation for free. Um, the agencies sometimes may, may vary. Some of them may accept a small fee or sometimes they'll, there'll be no fee. Um, but basically, like, you have to be screened and you have to see, you know, if you qualify or if they're willing to represent you. So there's, I, I would say there's a large segment of the population that are just simply applying for immigration benefits and getting certain things that may not necessarily qualify for for legal representation. So a lot of times you do see people who go unrepresented. And now in court, you know, there's um, there, there's no right to an attorney when you're in immigration court. So... Um, you know, the agencies will pick up some of the work. So wait, what do you mean? Let's go back to that. So if you are, if you were detained and, um, and you have a court hearing, you can't have legal representation with you? You can, but it's private. It means it comes out of your pocket. The government's not going to provide you an attorney, not an immigration law. It's just, because you're not a citizen. Oh, so, you don't pay so that's it's why just, these it's little just, kids yeah, would show up by it. themselves at court. Yes, oh, it's a particularly horrific chapter. But um, wait, yeah, I mean, it, chapter, it's, so it's not happening anymore. Uh, it, it may or may not. I mean, I think I think it it was, you know, you have these what we call surges where like sometimes you have a lot of um, large groups of like the what we call unaccompanied minors, you know, coming in and, you know, they started having all these hearings and they were being processed. So um, we're not seeing as many of them. Lately, and I think obviously then they kind of got together with the agencies and and provided some representation. But I mean, yeah, it could certainly happen today. I mean, it's it's, it's not there's nothing under um, uh, it's a civil proceeding. So there's nothing in the immigration legal system or or anything in our laws that indicate, you know, that require that you have legal representation at you know paid by the government like you do in criminal cases for example so a okay lot of so people for just immigration have to get their own attorney right so they have to get their own attorney therefore that's why we would see these right. kids show mm-hmm. up by themselves right wow I actually have some listener questions um that sure I can ask you some questions okay yeah so the first question that I got was if an ICE agent knocks on your door at home or at work what should I do do I open the door. Well, so um, home and work may be a little bit different, but let's go with the home. The, the, the home, basically anybody who's coming to, to, to your home to enter the home, actually they need a search warrant. Um, so sometimes, you know, ICE may have a warrant for your arrest, but they may not have a search warrant to actually enter your home. But and that, they- that actually is it's issued by a judge. So... Um, actually, people have the right to ask to see a warrant. But what before if they, they just want to like in. knock on the door to ask questions, not necessarily detain you? Does that ever happen? Well, I would, you know, I wouldn't open the door unless somebody has a warrant, and I'm looking at the warrant through the window and I okay. can see it. And they don't have to answer yeah. any questions. So, listener, don't yeah, open don't the open door. that door. They don't, <laughs> they don't, I mean, yeah, and, and and I mean, they may have a warrant, and if they have a warrant, I mean, they have a right to enter. But, um. You know, anybody who wants to come in into your home and, you know, whether it's to arrest you or look or search or anything, they need to have a um, they need to have a search warrant. Sometimes what ICE will do is um, they won't try, you know, to get you at the home. They'll wait for the person to actually leave the home. And it's like, 
couple blocks away, they'll well, detain the person. When I was in, in high school, I worked at a Tony Romas um, up until I was like probably 20 years old. And I remember an ICE officer came to the restaurant looking mm-hmm. for one of the hostesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, I, I've seen it happen. Well, well I mean, it, it is their job. I mean, at the end of the day, if there's somebody who's like missing and, and, you know, they're supposed to be in court and they've missed court hearings and that sort of thing. Um yeah, I mean, ICE has every legitimate right to to look look for that person and apprehend them. They just have to do it lawfully, and you know, so something you know, if if it's the home, they should have a a search warrant. Okay, and then the next question kind of like goes into the same. Like it's like a follow up. It's do I have any rights if I'm detained? If yes, why are they? Well, yeah, I mean, you always have rights. The question is, how much do you have? So normally, uh, you know, immigration is very complex. So I mean, for the most part generally if a person is detained they do have a right to appear in front of an immigration judge and have you know like their trial or day in court if you want to call it that and you know present their case and see if there's anything available to them that would stop the deportation but that i'm sure takes now, time yeah i mean it could take time and and you know our immigration system it's the sometimes there's just too many cases compared to the number of judges um but, you know, obviously there's always exceptions to that rule. There's people who don't necessarily have the right to appear in front of a judge. But but yeah, for the most part, it's not just like we grab people off the streets and just put them on a plane and um, deport them. I mean, they have a right to to appear in front of a judge for the most part. Okay. And then I have two more questions that were asked. Um, uh, does filing my taxes yearly help in my immigration case? So I, I usually tell people it is a it is a good thing to but, try but to do it. you can't file if you don't have a social security, right? Normally, sometimes what people would do is they'll get something called a TIN number, an ITIN number, which is like a temporary identification number that allows them to file taxes. Now, what happens is, and, and again, this is kind of like the myth about like, oh, well, immigrants, they just take benefits and they don't pay taxes. It's like, no, actually I've met in my career, I've met a lot of people, a lot of people who pay taxes. They don't have a social, so they're actually paying taxes and getting nothing back because they they can't get anything back. They right. don't have a social security number. So there's actually just money that they pay and put into the system. Um, so it's generally, it's a good thing. I mean, it shows good faith. It shows good moral character. So if in the event that somebody was to ever find themselves in some type of immigration proceeding where they had to show what we call good moral character, it certainly helps. But, you know, at the same time, I always tell people like, you have to also check with an accountant or somebody who's a tax attorney. Right. And I'm sure that the way that the government sees it is um, they're not taking advantage of Uncle Sam in that sense. They're paying their dues. They're working. It used used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Government it used is to not be. as nice. <laughs> it used to be that we could be like, hey, you know, they've paid their taxes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think nowadays it, it still matters. I don't think they give it as much credit as it used to, but Got it. Uh, yeah, it's always, it's, a, it's never a bad thing. Well, I think we have good insight on yeah. your job and I think you're a thriving <laughs> lawyer and we are so excited to have you. But I think it's important to to highlight to like your mom. You you keep mentioning like your kids and your husband. How the hell do you do it, Andrea? Well, um, by the grace of God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are days where I I really just don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think it's 
I'm going to say my husband and I are incredibly blessed, but I'm, I'm also going to say um, our choices when it comes to career have paid off because, you know, we both work for ourselves. So we both control our schedules. So, you know, I'm able to, you know, uh, like, for example, be with my kids at home from this time to this time. And then if I want to go ahead and take a client call at 9 p.m., I can choose to do that. And and you'd be surprised how receptive like people actually I used to be kind of like a little bit concerned about like, oh, my God, like, uh, you know, like, is it OK if I like, do you think my clients will be OK if I tell them I have to like put my kids to bed and. And actually, like, clients really relate. And they're, like, sometimes they've even, like, offered. They're, like, oh, I know you got kids. You know, do you want to do this conference call later on? Or, you know, sometimes, like, if I want to work on a Saturday, I can do that. And so this is what I was talking about earlier with being in control of your life. Um, Or if if there's a case where I feel like, you know what? No, this case is just going to suck the life out of me. And um, this is something I'd rather not take. Maybe I can refer it out or, you know, or if I want to go ahead and um, take vacation with my kids and, you know, with my family um, at this particular time of the year, you know, you're able to to do all those things. But, you know, there's also a price to it. So the price to it is that once you go boss, like, you know, how we said is um, you also face, you know, the, the business realities and. Um, you know, the burden is all on you to make it rain and come up with that money and, you know, pay the bills. And, um, you know, as a lawyer, like I love the legal part of the job and I, I like I just want to focus on my cases, but I'm also a business owner. So I have to deal with accounting, marketing, advertising, business decisions. And it, so that comes with the territory, you know. It's so so it, you have not hired anybody else? Well, actually, yes. I actually hired my first employee last year. It's my mom. Oh, <laughs> So she's officially on oh, payroll. Oh, my mom's the best. So it's the two Shout out to your mom. Is yeah. she going to listen to this? She probably she will. She probably will. Uh, she did she's ask. your she's biggest like, supporter. Like, where do I find you? I'm just like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> I love your mom. But, um... So actually, yeah, actually, and that's that's also been really nice, like, you know, be able to like bring my family on board. And um, so it's it's it certainly helps um, that I that I control my time and my schedule um, in terms of having kids and raising them. But it's also at times it just feels like you're doing so much and you're just like where does it end I mean like so it, it does get a little crazy um but you're resilient and yes yes and, yes. and, and my husband's you know like a, a very person. involved father you know we always joke about because we're like we're not allowed to say he helps because those are his kids and he's just being a parent because <laughs> it's like every time I know, sometimes they like, like oh you know like oh, minimize you know, the he, dad's like, job oh, he's right. helping like oh he's babysitting, babysitting. oh yeah <laughs> like, what no no he's he's being he's a being father a he's parenting just like I do so but but yeah I mean it's just great that he also controls his schedule so we're able to just um, you make a good team. Play around with that a lot. But speaking of, okay, tell everyone how around. you met. Yeah, him. I want to know. How you tell met. everyone how know. you met Nazo. So I was, Shout out to I was out with Gabby. She was like my. Where were you? Wait, guys? Like charm. How long ago was it? <laughs> my God, Gabby, it's gonna be. We're gonna be married in uh, ten years wow. next year, and I think together it's been like I think we met in two thousand six. So it's gonna be almost, yeah. So it was during the finals, the, the the heat finals. So okay. 
So we also owe it to the heat. Um, well, we were just hanging out. I thought you meant like, like school finals. No, no, first. no, no, no. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I was no. six. We were no, in no, yeah, no, no. NBA finals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were. I was already in law school, I think. Yeah, it's NBA finals. There's a bar involved. There's We just, went yeah. to, what was the bar? It was in Kendall, of course. Kendall girls, shout out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Here's the ale house. Ale house. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We, we've we've gone back a couple of times. We always say we're gonna get that table in the back, <laughs> like you know, like when we have like our thirty or fortieth wedding anniversary, we're just gonna like put a plaque back there and be like, <laughs> no, but it's, okay. Like, so we went and we were just there, me, you, and was it loose? We had a big group of people. It was a big group of people, so, but it was like three girls that we went. It was just like a few girls and it's just huge group of guys, and of course, like. We strolled into the place like, and everybody probably, stopped and they were like, who the fuck are these people? I just <laughs> Probably into like the first quarter. I don't even know. Like just thinking it's the finals and we're just going to magically find a table because, you know, we're not. No, but we don't know out. them. We yeah. know them. Well, yeah, no, Lucy somebody knew, knew. Yeah, Lucy knew somebody. Somebody knew somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we walk in and like, of course, the place is like jam packed. And we're just like walking around like, oh, wow. Like we didn't think it was going to be this crazy. And then somebody knew somebody and they're like, oh, those are my friends in the back. And we were like, okay, perfect. So we walk over and as soon as we get there, like the 10 guys that are there just like left all their chairs and stools and they're like, welcome. So, um, <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah, they were like, I like, don't know where they at anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, they were thrilled. They were like, we're like, you see, this is why we didn't need to show up early. We can just... Yeah, yeah like, grab somebody else. Take, a, take somebody else. So ever since then, you guys. We yeah, we met. So we did the kind of like the group friend thing for a while, and I, th- I think sure it didn't it didn't take us very long to actually like start like. Being but what's a beautiful is that they're totally different cultures. But I feel like you've always <laughs> Wait, what like culture is he? So he's he's originally from Pakistan. He came here like very very young, and I'm Venezuelan, so. Yeah, I mean, like it's probably. But as, you've always like, embraced. You can. I feel like you've always embraced. Yeah, like, so that we're like it, the funny or that thing, side of the world. The funny thing about us is that we always joke that we've like we're kind of like each other, but like trapped in each other's like bodies. Like, like he's he's always identified himself very much with like Latino culture. It's <laughs> so true. And he, like he always tells me a story about like how when he first came here, he fell in love with like Roxana, you know. <laughs> <laughs> from Nicaragua like that was Roxana from Nicaragua he was like 8 years old it was like his first crush I don't even know who that is and he was like he knew shout out to Roxana Roxana my you cousin. have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Roxana apparently is responsible for him just uh, like worshipping <laughs> Latino <laughs> women yeah so he was like okay like uh, that's just like you know I live in Miami and I'm just I love all these Latino women running around and um, I've always loved like anything like I used to watch like Indian movies and I'm like she oh has. I used to joke and say I'm gonna have an Indian wedding and I used to watch it with my mom Indian but weddings had, are dope she had one. Oh, you did yeah but she had so, two weddings but yeah. the funny thing is I had never actually dated anybody from like India or Pakistan or, or like anywhere nearly remotely so um it was yeah like we kind of met we, we kind of met at the, you know again timing was kind of perfect and he was smart. He didn't come across as like, oh, I'm hitting Too on thirsty. you. Too thirsty, yeah. He was like, he was just kind of like, oh, like, you know, um, call me, you know. And he gave me his number. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, and we we kind of did the group friend thing. But then after like a month, it was like, okay, this is really about us, right? <laughs> so, 
We've been together. But ever I remember since. her in class because we used to have obviously college classes together. She would come in from like her travels because she travels a lot with like her like the Indian shoes. Oh yeah, and all the, like, all like Indian wear. That's, yeah. That's and awesome. she had all the jewelry, and she's always been into it. It's so crazy that you yeah. manifested. I, your- I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I always joke with him. I tell him I was like, I married you for the food. <laughs> And the outfits. Indian food is <laughs> so, my favorite food. That's that's the that's the perks. But um, no, I mean, I think again, it just you know, it comes it comes down, I think, to being each other's like biggest cheerleaders. Like we've and been it's we've been really yeah. good about embracing each other's cultures. And I think our our thing from the beginning is we're gonna do this and celebrate each other's culture and religion and everything as long as we don't have to we're not required to change who we are yeah um i think you guys do it well and yeah that's kind of been our 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 motto and you know with the kids now like we laugh we're like you know we're like the venipac crew and (laughs) you know i have these like kids who are like my daughter's like mommy i'm like i'm half pakistani and half venezuelan and italian and like she's like she's in that age where she's like so curious about you know, where she comes her from. background, where she comes from, and yeah, you know, you're fluent in Italian, right? She's speaking, yeah, she's speaking all three languages, and you know, it, it all happened very organically. But we definitely try to expose her to both, and to just kind of feel proud about both, because I think that's probably you know your biggest weapon that you can have in life against you know people who are going to, uh, you know, judge you. Or, you know, um, you know, try to cast you out or try to discriminate against you. Um, inevitably, we live in a world where, like, at some point that may happen. And I think just um, understanding where you come from and having a real sense of pride is the best thing I can do for my children. That's beautiful. Because, um, yeah. you know, obviously we can't protect them. So, Well, lastly, I want to see if you have any advice for any listeners that want to go into law. Like anything, any little tad bits that you want to share or gems or just, you know. Yeah, my, I think my biggest advice to everybody is it's go out there and, and try it out. Find someone who actually works at a law firm and, and actually find out what it is that they do for a living, what their day is like. Because so, so many times, like what, you know, what we said is like in our heads, we think, uh, it's like that meme. It's like, you know, like this is like what people think I do. And then it's not a I TV show. It's do. not the good life. It's, yeah. it's real so, life. You know, it, it, and, and the younger you can do that, the better because you can, you know, I think like having real practical life experience, it's the best way to figure out like what kind of career you have in life. I think, you know, when you're in college or in school, it's really hard to just like compare what you're learning to what it's really like. Um, out there in the world so you know that that would be my uh, my piece of advice just go out there and try it out and see if you like it I love it so if anybody had any questions how to get in touch with you let them know your handle or where should they contact you okay so um, we do have a Facebook page it's Andrea Martini PA Um, my office is actually in Coral Gables and um, you know via email or phone number, the number is 786-350-1158. Um, and the email, it's andrea at martini-legal.com. Um, and like I said, you know, we also have the the Facebook page. Uh, and if they want to follow yeah. you on Instagram. 
Uh, Martini Q is actually my uh, handle and that I actually share a little bit of everything. It's like my mom life, my uh, work life. You know, there's like kind of like the whole picture. You um, get to see her cute on kids. Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're open, right? Or are you private? No, I'm actually public. Oh, I, okay. I made a decision to actually share a lot about, uh, it, you know, with this whole thing about like just women becoming working moms and everything and just doing all this stuff. I actually decided to to make it public and just share a lot of my experiences. To um, inspire the, yeah. I mean, you're in, yeah, I mean I've learned that, you know, sometimes when we just put stuff out there, we really learn from each other and um, it is inspiring. And sometimes it's just also like a big dose of reality. <laughs> so, yeah, like it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I always joke that whoever said women can have it all was actually like a man trying to do reverse psychology because <laughs> it's like it's so hard. Um, but how do we do it? It's hard, but we do it. And I'm like, wow. I We were made like from a different type of cloth. I, I swear. I really I, think so. I mean, I I like it's it's not because it's like, you know, I, I, and it's not feminism in the in the bad sense, but I just really think that um you know, women when we set our minds to it, we can just get it all. And sometimes having to do it all, it's the price that we've had to pay to be in charge and to make decisions so it's like okay well you want to work for yourself and you want to be a mom but then that means you're really going to have to do it with sometimes no support or very little support or just by spreading yourself really thin um sometimes uh, some women get lucky and they can have great supportive partners but i feel like the majority of working moms you know like it's just crazy and and you know just working women in general I, I just think that there's well I think your story is going to inspire all of our listeners to know that you can do it all yes even you though can. you know something you'll just be really sleepy you'll probably not gonna be able to get your nails did all the yeah. time but you'll survive you'll survive and you know you'll you'll get it done and you know well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you everyone for listening and for always staying in touch with us. Uh, make sure you always stay connected at Girls Gone Boss and listen to us everywhere. Spotify. Um, Winwood Radio. We're on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Everywhere. everywhere. So thank we'll you. see you guys next week. Bye. 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 You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.